0: Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. We'll be exploring the paradoxes of quantum physics today. With me is philosopher, Dr. Ruth Kastner. She is a member of the Foundations of Physics group at the University of Maryland at College Park. She is also author of the Transactional Interpretation of Quantum Physics, The Reality of Possibility, as well as Understanding Our Unseen Reality Solving Quantum Puzzles and Adventures in Quantum Land Exploring Our Unseen Reality. Welcome, Ruth.
1: Thanks. It's great to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you with me here in Albuquerque. You use a wonderful metaphor for these paradoxes in quantum physics. The idea of a a carpet that has a, a a bump, a roll, a, a crease. A lump in it. A lump, lump in the
1: carpet. A lump yeah. in
0: the carpet. And no matter how you try to uh, push the lump away, it shows up somewhere else.
1: Right. Yeah, I think I opened my book with this idea that that quantum theory is like this carpet, this beautiful carpet that, that we've been given and we really like it and it works well, but it just has this lump. It doesn't quite fit in the room, right? And, mm-hmm. and uh, those are the quantum puzzles or the quantum yeah. riddles.
0: And it seems as if quantum physicists are trying to do just what you explained, take a piece of furniture and cover up the lump so no one can see it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I might be a little harsh there, but to, it seems that though it, in various ways, the different interpretations are kind of different ways of trying to
0: eliminate that lump. Mm-hmm. Because my, my sense is that there are many different solutions, but every solution... Uh, proposes a a new paradox in order to explain the old paradox
1: right i kind of see that as as a bit of the shifting lump and Mm -hmm. and we 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 smooth it out and we it looks nice in one spot but then there's some other problem that that Mm -hmm. pops up and uh yeah so uh, what i'm trying to do is actually unfold the carpet i'm saying no it's even bigger than you thought Mm -hmm. but let's make our room bigger
0: yeah that's a good way to get rid of lumps.
1: Oh, right. <laughs> Just get a bigger house. <laughs> I mean, uh,
0: because there's so many potential paradoxes. Right. There's, there's uh, the idea of particles going backwards through time or faster than the speed of light or, uh, the idea that uh, things occur that have absolutely no cause whatsoever
1: right, it just challenges us in many ways, mm-hmm. and uh I mean my main argument here is that our living room metaphorically is the space time realm, our expectation that that all physical things must. Take place in this three spatial and one temporal dimension, our mm-hmm. space time realm that we think everything happens in. And somehow the quantum, quantum theory carpet is just too big to fit in there. We mm-hmm. have this non locality that you mentioned and the, these superpositions and the, these things that just don't make sense in our, in our three plus one space
0: time. Mm-hmm. Well. Of course, we have now uh, one of the main theoretical movements in physics is uh, string theory and the various other theories that are sort of variations of string theory, M theory, uh, and and so on. which postulate more than uh, a three dimensional or four dimensional space-time matrix?
1: Right. Yes, those are theories that are trying to get a theory of quantum gravity, trying to unify all the all the forces. Mm-hmm. And yes, they are exploring those ideas. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so certainly there, there's uh, you know other areas of physics where we're already kind of expanding our living room. We're mm-hmm. already looking to uh, get a bigger, yeah. bigger set of concepts.
0: But, but talking about space, let's say five dimensions of of space, or it used to be called the fourth dimension before people thought about four d, three dimensions of space and one of time is four d. Yeah. The fourth yeah. dimension was considered an invisible dimension of space in early science fiction. Stories, right? For for example, but it's counterintuitive that there's more than three dimensions of space, and I don't think you're postulating that either, are you?
1: Well, um, I'm postulating not additional dimensions of space time per se, um, but rather the idea that space time is an emergent. Realm mm-hmm. and there's something that it's emerging from and yep. that is the quantum realm that, mm-hmm. that I see as a realm of Possibilities or mm-hmm. potentialities that right. are real that mm-hmm. are very
0: real. I've heard people refer to what they call quantum geometry
1: Right. Yeah, and so um, Actually, I'm not sure exactly what what people might have in mind with that term, but but certainly um the, the structure of quantum theory has a kind of geometry to it that, that is not compatible with 3 plus 1 space-time dimensions. It's much bigger than that.
0: Mm-hmm. So no matter how you slice the pie, you're going to end up with uh, some result that uh, is counterintuitive from our normal um, Newtonian macro perspective.
1: That's right. We're not going to be able to go back to that time when we thought that we had it all figured out and we had uh, our three spatial and our one temporal dimension and and every a place for everything and everything in its place and yeah. everything was local and, and understand, so-called local realism mm-hmm. is the term that people use for that view. And I don't think we can really go back to that. I know some people are trying to kind of hold on to it, mm-hmm. but I, I just think that those are ways of trying to nail down the carpet and having to deal with lumps popping up in other places. Well,
0: as a parapsychologist, of course, I've always been interested in in this area because minimally speaking, uh, we have a lot of empirical data in parapsychology, maybe not as rigorous as some would like, but uh, still thousands of reports and uh, they're inconsistent with this uh, local realism.
1: Sure. I mean, of course, physical science is, is an area that properly speaking doesn't really have anything to say about, uh, internal states of, of intuition and so on. And, um, although it, may be compatible with it. But I think when when people from physical science try to extrapolate and say, well, based on, based on my preferred physical theory, you shouldn't be talking about parapsychology, you know, yeah. they're kind of going out way beyond uh, where they should be going.
0: A physicist once wrote and said, if the parapsychologists hadn't already been uh, reporting these things, we in the field of quantum physics uh, would have predicted it. Oh really? Yeah.
1: I see. So, uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? And what
0: that the normal local realism, as, as you put it, mm-hmm. has has one fundamental distinction that we make, and that is the difference between subjective and objective. Right. We all yeah. we all believe that you know there's a world out there and a world in here, and they're different. And, yeah. and this physicist was saying that breaks down.
1: Well, I mean, I think that that kind of um, approach came out of the measurement problem yeah. uh, the problem of saying you know how are we going to account for the fact that that the quantum theory gives us a bunch of different outcomes but we or a, something in a superposition mm-hmm. but we only experience one of those and they uh, they thought that perhaps consciousness had had a role to play in that and they use that as a way of of explaining why you get one result so that's that's perhaps one thing that may have led them to feel that that uh consciousness had to be involved and there still are a lot of physicists i think who 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 do feel that quantum theory explicitly demands consciousness and i have a slightly different view um In that I think we can explain measurement outcomes without invoking consciousness explicitly, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think that the structure of the theory points to aspects of reality that that go beyond the local realistic yeah. space-time world.
0: Well, there is this idea of a theory of everything in physics, which typically means integrating relativity or gravity with. Quantum physics, mm-hmm. uh, and yet, uh, doesn't it seem to you that a theory of everything should also account for consciousness?
1: Well, when people use the term "theory of everything," if they if they want to exclude studies of of our experience, then clearly they're working in a in a traditional f- physical science paradigm yeah. where where they they everything. Is the objective world, mm-hmm. and uh, that gets into very deep questions about what is science, what are the, what is the proper uh, delineation of of science? So it depends on your definition of science, you know, um, as to whether you think physical science should explain inner experience. Mm-hmm. That's um, that depends on what you call physical, you know. So, it's a question of how one delineates well, those. Well, of course,
0: there are many other sciences besides physical science. Right, there, I right. Mean, there's anthropology. <laughs> of
1: course. And, yeah. So, so I think what the term theory of everything coming out of mm-hmm. physical sciences mm-hmm. is a little bit of a grandiose phrase. Yeah. You know, a little bit maybe overstated.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? well, well, there are a few people yeah. I, I know of who are attempting to Integrate consciousness somehow into uh, physical models.
1: Okay, right, right, and um, and of course, my model doesn't take a position on that. The the, the model I've been exploring and the interpretation I've been exploring, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's certainly evocative of I mean the idea that that we have real possibilities that are sub-empirical, by which I mean they are not part of what physicists usually think of as the objective world, the empirical world of the laboratory, but that the theory is kind of saying to us, hey, well, you may not want to consider this real, but this is the only way you can explain what's happening, and this is the only way you can interpret or predict what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So the theory may be challenging us to expand our ontology and our metaphysical toolbox to the point where we're dealing with more subtle concepts that are sub-empirical. The minute you get into that area, you can argue that there's room for the mental, Mm -hmm. that there's room for the internal or intuitive modes of of experience.
0: Well, it, it strikes me, and maybe I'm just naive, but it seems silly to have a science of physics that doesn't include the physicists themselves.
1: Yes, that but they don't, isn't that? That's the beauty of it, or, or you know, uh-huh. that's the interesting aspect of it that, as you said, it presupposes a subject-object distinction, yeah. and that, um, that the scientist is studying something, that the world is his laboratory, mm-hmm. and he's going to find out about his world in a way that doesn't directly involve knowing himself, and then may be an artificial division, and that may be that... That quantum theory is starting to point to the fact that we have to start looking at that division more carefully and see, you know, how...
0: You're a philosopher, and philosophers, I think... uh, all acknowledge the importance of Socrates as a foundational figure in philosophy. Right. Who said, "Know thyself." That's the whole point of philosophy, is of it course. not? Of course,
1: yeah, yeah, and of course, physical science was originally called natural philosophy. Mm-hmm. So, what they were doing was was trying to gain knowledge of what they called the natural world. Now, maybe that was the initial impetus to cr- break off, to, to, to take this sort of subject and object coin and to try to break it mm-hmm. so that, so that when they were doing natural philosophy, it was the natural. The emphasis mm. became on the natural, meaning the object, the object in which I'm interested, mm-hmm. and I will study it in a in a way that doesn't directly involve myself.
0: And I am under the impression um, that the church had a role in all of this. That mm. there was something called the Council of Trent, I guess, back in the 17th century or so, in which they uh, divided things up, and and uh, the church said, okay, you you. Saw Scientists can deal with uh, that which is measurable and objective, but everything else belongs to the domain of the church mm, and religion. That's a
1: fascinating point, yeah. that, that there were these kinds of cultural, uh, political, historical reasons for this division, that mm-hmm. it became almost a territorial thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I can understand very, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense that the natural philosophers of the day would, would choose to go, go with the flow of Mm -hmm. that recommendation because, well, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to get on the wrong side of the, the religious authorities of the time, which we know they ended up doing anyway.
0: Mm -hmm. But the religious authorities have always postulated uh, the idea of a supersensible realm. Yes. Which is precisely what the transactional interpretation, uh, your interpretation of quantum physics, postulates as well.
1: Well, it's it's a kind of um, it doesn't really postulate it more. Uh, so much as say this is a more natural interpretation of the quantities mm-hmm. but it is pointing to it it's suggesting it okay. and it's saying that that this is i think the most natural way and appropriate way to interpret the mathematical structure and i talk about this in my in my latest book yeah. adventures in quantum land that that this provides a way to reconcile these traditionally mm-hmm. physical science science and religious or spiritual ways of knowing that they're actually perhaps pointing to the same reality
0: i i guess the Word that I use "postulate" mm-hmm. has a very specific meaning. In it means in, you're sort
1: of helping yourself to it, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. So, yeah, in a way. Um, but I, I see it as an interpretive move
0: mm-hmm.
1: that is, uh, you can you can use the word. You know, perhaps I don't think of it that way, but it's it, there's probably it's probably fine to.
0: I'm just digging a little deeper here the, about the use of the, uh, normally in logic. You start with a postulate, don't you?
1: Right. And in, in that sense, I'm not starting with it. I'm right. sort of following up. And going, hey, you know, this is what the model seems to suggest mm-hmm. in that sense. So it's it's an interpretive move.
0: Yeah, yeah. And but one might say that that interpretive move uh, is at least parallel to what the church or all religions seem to do when they talk about the the supersensible or spiritual realm.
1: Well, you know, they um, have um, a history or a way of knowing it's based on revelatory. Uh, modes of knowledge, which of course most scientists would say isn't a legitimate way of getting knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, on the other hand, it, you know, my, my model is starts from a physical theory yeah. and it says, Okay, apart from uh, thinking that we also need to understand a little bit differently how fields work, and then Mm -hmm. we have a better understanding of quantum theory and why we get measurement. But it also points to, I think, the theory itself, if we take the structure seriously, then say that it's really pointing and referring to something in reality, then the the only logical move is to say whatever it's referring to is not in your manifest mm space-time phenomenal realm. And so, in a way, it's almost despite you know, as a, as a more rigorous, you know, hard-headed physicist, which is what I, how I started in, into this field, yes. it, it's, uh, it's almost dragging me kicking and screaming to, <laughs> to this result. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like, it's not like I went into this saying, oh, how can I, how can I, you know, make my, um, my, a model of quantum theory line up with religious thought you know that was sure. not a goal that I, I had i totally
0: get that but but it's
1: interesting mm-hmm. that it
0: points but to not that. all religious concepts uh, developed out of revelation i mm-hmm. either there's quite a bit of work suggesting that you know religious traditions develop from empirical observations and actually. rational
1: thought uh-huh there are there are many logical arguments for the existence of God, for instance, and well, know, there some, are those, but, yeah, but for sure, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Oh, sure. I mean, looking at the apparent design in the world around mm-hmm. you, and, and looking for the ultimate designer, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's very true. But of course, there are different ways of knowing, Mm -hmm. different different approaches to gaining
0: knowledge. Well, we started by talking about paradoxes, Mm. paradoxes of of physics in particular. Mm -hmm. But I suppose it's fair to say uh, you can only have a paradox if you have a conceptual framework within which uh, some observation appears paradoxical.
1: Right, it's not what you're expecting, you can't fit it into your previous understanding of mm-hmm. how things should work. So if you have a larger
0: world view mm-hmm. uh, that can accommodate these findings, then they're no longer paradoxical.
1: Right, and they they can be understood in a natural way. I mean, for instance, perhaps one of the paradoxes is wave particle duality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. how how can something be both a wave and a particle? Right. Well, in my approach uh they are as possibilities they are waves mm-hmm. so that you have waves of possibility but the particle like quality enters in at the point where you have an actualized result which is very rigorously accounted for in my model yeah. so that so that they they both pertain but at different levels of the mm-hmm. process, there are different processes involved.
0: So well, when you refer to a wave of possibility, that's mm-hmm. a very different kind of wave, I think, than uh, one would perceive in the double slit experiment, where you you see interference patterns.
1: Right, but of course, what you actually see, if you look at, if you're doing it with electrons or something, yeah. if you look at the screen, you see little dots. Oh, you see little dots wherever you got a mm-hmm. result. There's a dot, uh-huh. and that's your particle-like aspect. Uh-huh. But the fact that the, the the distribution of the dots follows this wave-like interference pattern yeah. is evidence that you had at the level of possibility that you had wave-like behavior. Uh-huh. Now,
0: these are not physical waves at the level of possibility. Well, they're
1: not space-time waves.
0: Ah, yes. They're not they,
1: actualized waves like water mm-hmm. waves or something like words, that. In other words,
0: in your thinking about this, Something can be physical without existing in space-time. Exactly. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. Or at least it can be something that is capable of being described by what we call a physical theory, Mm -hmm. the theory of quantum mechanics. So, I mean, I'm not saying, well, it's physical in the sense of being made of any particular kind of substance. I'm simply saying it has a structure, it's real, and it's describable by this theory.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it would seem to me as As a psychologist and parapsychologist, kind of self-evident, but maybe from the point of view of a rigorous theoretician, not at all self-evident, that if you have this vast realm outside of space-time or or independent of space-time, uh, where many, many physical things happen. Uh, The same thing should also, it's reasonable to assume, or it's self-evident to assume that that would also be true of the mind.
1: Right. I mean... You know, the funny thing about the these possibilities mm-hmm. is they're often called abstract, yeah. right? I mean, that was one reason people like Niels Bohr did not want to grant them physicality because he they, they are abstract in the sense you mm-hmm. can't, they're not tangible. Yeah. You can't say, here's my, I'm putting my finger on this possibility. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, in the sense that they are subtle or abstract, that has a mental character to it. I mean, we think of the mind as dealing with, ideas that are abstract yeah. so this is where these two concepts sort of come together in the sense that that these quantum possibilities could be said to have this mental character mm-hmm. as well in that they're abstract
0: mm-hmm. so in quantum physics you have theoreticians who talk about many worlds, who talk about particles going backwards through time. They all have different models and different interpretations. They typically get rid of one paradox and introduce another to, to replace mm-hmm. it with. And what you're say, suggesting is that all of that can be handled simply by acknowledging uh, the physical or ontological reality of a realm that is uh, not within space-time.
1: Right. I mean, I think that we resolve a lot of the puzzles by making that move and sort of expanding our living room so that the rug can fit in. We we, we don't have any more lumps. Yeah. Right? We, we have um, a situation that uh, is challenging to us because we thought that this is where our existence ended or mm-hmm. this is where the, the uh, appropriate scientific domain of inquiry should be delineated at yeah. this boundary. But if we let expand that boundary and expand our ontology, then I think we find the theory loses its lumps and, mm-hmm. and it makes a lot more sense. And it, it, a lot more things are explained.
0: Mm-hmm. But then what remains mm-hmm. to be explained is how something that has no existence within space or time can influence uh, events that are within space and time.
1: Well, um, yeah, there's, there's clearly an interrelationship Mm -hmm. between these two levels. So this is a level in which, I mean, if you, if you, uh, follow this idea, then things like hydrogen atoms, for instance, Mm -hmm. are real. They're physically real. Niels Bohr was right when he was developing his theory of the hydrogen atom that it really exists and it's something we need to, as physicists, worry about. But according to, you know, my suggestion here, it's not, the hydrogen atom is not actually contained within space time, but it's a mediator of interactions in this broader realm of possibilities that can give rise to space time events and, and transfers of real energy. Uh-huh. So these are real empirically measurable actual things, photons, real photons that carry energy and momentum and angular momentum, yeah. so that they are clearly having an effect, having an effect on the space time realm. In doing so. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by saying they're physically real. They are really doing stuff. You know, they're not just in your mind. They are really doing stuff. We can create them in the lab. When I say in the laboratory, we can create them by way of procedures in the laboratory. Mm -hmm. But um, all of this is rooted in this. Subempirical realm of possibility
0: I think at one point you told me and maybe we can elaborate on this, make sure I understand it right that that a particle or an atom at rest, something with rest mass mm-hmm. is not within space time
1: right. I mean it's the fact that uh, for instance, take an electron okay. an electron is a fascinating little little object that object that has rest mass, but in a sense it's it's like trapped light so it's actually uh in a kind of a little vortex that's doing it's spinning and it's but it's spinning in a dimension that is not in space and time and that's in a sense it's really being trapped in in an area that is can't quite get into space and time uh-huh. it's it's behind the scenes but it it interacts with uh, the electromagnetic field which is what gives rise to photons mm-hmm. and and different electrons can interact with one another, and uh, they're usually bound to something like an electron, and they can actually toss photons back and forth. But when that happens, that's something that's going on in space and time. So it's, it's like, um, it's, uh, there's a thing that you can do with yarn called a cat's cradle, where you can take yarn and put it around your fingers and then pull it apart yeah. like that. This is kind of the, a nice way to visualize what the electrons are doing. They're, they're yarn that's not really, uh, in any kind of obvious structure, but they can give rise to, to strands of yarn that are then the part of the space time. So they're acting behind the scenes and they're very real, mm-hmm. but they themselves are actually trapped in a sense in, in a, in a domain that's not. The space-time and all. and
0: all of this would be very consistent with the existing equations of right. quantum physics. Right. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. the The Dirac equation is what describes electrons, and it has very strange solutions. They are called spinners. Mm-hmm. They have four four dimensions that have nothing to do with space and time, and they they seem to be zipping backward and forward at the speed of light. But mm-hmm. again, it's it's a very fast motion. That's really this topologically, in a strict mathematical sense, they are really doing something that cannot be done in 3-plus-1 three, three, three
0: dimensions. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, you have all these other qualities that seem really... Um Almost well, very mysterious to me. Like with quarks, you have a charm quark. I don't know what charm is in this sense, or an up quark right. and a down quark. And
1: yes, these, these are all sort of what call, are called internal degrees of freedom. Mm-hmm. Now, when people use that, they they mean this is a degree, a way of moving that does not take place in space and time. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the traditional language that's used I around see. these these objects that. You know, are doing things that you can't do in space and time—an mm-hmm. internal degree of freedom. Yeah. So that—that's, in my view, that's kind of one of the lumps that pops up that mm-hmm. <laughs> that you put under the TV cabinet and just say, "That's like we won't talk about that."
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, call it an internal degree of freedom. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that or, mean? Or use you a know? word so that everybody's comfortable with the They're, word without yes. wondering what, what does it really mean? Right, right. Like, what yeah. is this charm?
1: Yes, yes. And when you say internal degree of freedom, what's the what's the inside, and what is it? Doing Doing while it's doing that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So, but, but topologically, in a very strict mathematical sense, these are not space-time processes.
0: Yeah. Well, there are so many paradoxes like this. I, I mean, almost every version of quantum physics has, has them. I understand, for example, in uh, quantum field theory, particles are considered to have, uh, they're point particles, they have no volume whatsoever.
1: Well, um, I think, you know, that's one way of looking at it, but I think people who are really specializing in the foundations of quantum field Mm -hmm. theory, they they generally agree there's a consensus that the particle concept really doesn't work in quantum field theory. That, that, that it's very hard to really say, well, where is my particle? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you can't really do it. It, it, it ends up being just very unwieldy to try to think that there are actual point
0: particles. Mm-hmm. In and quantum and field yet theory. you just explained to me that in the double slit experiment, when you look carefully, you do see these points. Well,
1: that, that's at the actualized level, uh-huh. which again, traditional approaches can't really explain. Yeah. They can't explain why, why did I get a dot? Mm-hmm. They cannot. They literally cannot explain that. They, they, all they have is mm-hmm. a probability that I'll see a dot here, or yeah. a dot here, or a dot here. But there's no reason. They they give no reason for why you actually got a dot anywhere. Mm-hmm. So,
0: and yeah. in your interpretation, the transactional or the relativistic transactional interpretation, how would you explain that? Well, because you've got uh, the role of. Absorbing
1: systems as well as the role of emitting systems that are both necessary to have any transfer of energy. So for instance, if you're doing a, a two slit experiment, say with photons or something, then, then the, the systems in the screen are part of the part of the dynamics they are they are interacting with systems in the laser or whatever Mm -hmm. it is that's emitting these photons and it's a mutual decision to have a photon go from the laser to a specific object in the screen and a a particular atom say can Mm -hmm. can then absorb that photon and then it changes its state and that atom changes its state and it actually triggers a cascade of all kinds Mm -hmm. of chemical reactions and that's why you see the dot because a transaction occurred and was actualized.
0: And that transaction is outside of... Space time.
1: The process that leads up to it is outside uh-huh. of space time. The one that then becomes actualized is the final space time process. Mm-hmm. So that does, that process really does uh, establish a space time actuality, or rather two actualities, the emission event, the absorption event, and then that photon that connects
0: them. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very so, tempted to try and use that as an analogy for human behavior, but. Well,
1: you've got transactional analysis yeah. <laughs> already, you know, so. <laughs> Maybe
0: perhaps I'm just being way too uh, speculative, but but it seems to me, you know, um, you meet somebody and you get married, but maybe the interaction that leads to that connection, you and your husband, me and my wife, for example, took place outside of space time.
1: Well, you know, there, there are so many subtleties of, of the, I mean, if you take quantum mechanics literally and, mm-hmm. and say that maybe it does describe possibilities, then there are all these possibilities out there that that are not, those possibilities are not like the flowers sitting here in this vase, they are not phenomenal things that you can put your finger on, but they're very real, and mm-hmm. they're, they're really there, and, and you can act upon them or not, and they can influence you clearly you can influence mm-hmm. you or you and you can think about them and go one way mm-hmm. or the other
0: so These flowers are, they're beautiful. They came from my garden. But you seem to be suggesting that what we can see here or smell is, is, is just the, the tiniest portion of what they really are.
1: Absolutely. That's right. The, you know, the, this goes back to the mysterious table in itself that Bertrand Russell wrote about in his problems of philosophy that, that everyone will see a different, everyone will see a table. But strictly speaking, you know, we can't really say, well, what is the real table that's, underlying Mm -hmm. all these different perceptions that people have of the table mm-hmm. well in the same way what are the real flowers that are giving rise you're seeing a different view of the flowers I'm seeing a different we're experiencing a different each experiencing our own flower phenomenon and um, you know the, the eternal puzzle of philosophy is are there are there any flowers in themselves mm-hmm. well what I'm saying is quantum theory is actually providing us an answer to that that, mm-hmm. that that at the quantum level yes there are flowers in themselves they're not manifest but they are very powerful and together with the light sources you know and the the other uh, systems that are in play are giving rise to these transactions so we have a phenomenon that is flowers
0: well Ruth Kastner that's a very elegant explanation (laughs) I like it and I want to thank you so much for coming to Albuquerque and, and being with me so that we can share these thoughts with our viewers thank you so much you're very welcome I've really enjoyed it and thank you for being with us Thank you.